Hark ye, podcasters, hark! Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media. I'm Mitch. I'm Murph. And I'm Jonathan. And today, we're going to be discussing The Lighthouse. Hell yeah! It's such a good fucking movie. It's so good that we decided to do just this film for yeah, this entire episode because there's a lot to talk about for the entire film. Yes. There's so much. And me and Mitch, we watched it in theaters when we first saw it. Lucky. Watched it three times. It just came out for like the digital release, so that's how I was able to watch it. But I did watch it by myself, and it was very dark in my living room, and I got kind of freaked out. But whatever. <laughs> uh, just some scopes on the movie itself. It is produced by A24. And it is directed by, do you have the director's name? He did The Witch. Robert Eggers. Yeah, Robert Eggers. Eggers. Yeah, yeah I don't know. It's a, You could say either. Yeah, he's the one who did The Witch. And uh, he mostly does period pieces. Yeah. So, I mean, you could tell that he did both of them. The, it's the same kind of slow building horror that just starts building on itself. And you have to be super patient up until the end of it. But there is like glimpses of what's going on as you're going through the story it's uh it's very grounded i would say this horror movie in particular and even the witch are both very grounded so they feel uh very much like something that could happen in the real world sort of deal there's enough reality and enough of uh oh okay yeah in order yeah. to in order to make it believable anyway uh for this one the budget was four million and the box office was 12 million that's not bad. It made it made a its money. Fairly cheap movie. Yeah. Like I know it's in millions, but like at this point they the just a couple million is not a very I mean, big budget. It was shot on like what thirty three millimeter. So yes. it's it's uh it's gonna be on thirty five millimeter, but it's a it's in a one point one nine uh dash one ratio. So it's gonna be like a small box. Yeah. So of like you video. know your old school TVs that you used to watch stuff on. It was that size. It was made for that TV. So if you have like. Your grandparents have an old school TV or something. Just hook up a DVD player to that and watch the lighthouse on it, and I'm sure you'll be fine because it uh, doesn't reach out all the way to the edges of the screen. A way that they uh, figured out how to get that kind of ratio was that they use a lot of modern cameras, but they affixed them with 1930s lenses. So they were like they were going back. They were using like original equipment then from some of like the beginnings of. A film, film for yeah. like when they were really using it for like on a mass production scale yeah they also created a 70 foot working lighthouse to shoot the movie so that was real that was a real <laughs> that lighthouse entire lighthouse movie. yep and it was uh so bright that it could shine for 16 miles holy shit yep wait so does that mean that when will and robert pattinson yeah when they were standing in front of the light like <laughs> that was that bright <laughs> It was actually yeah. that bright. Holy shit. Well, they, there's like a scenery standing well, in front of it. There's also, I believe there's some sort of um, magnification as well. Like yeah. Like lenses around it to amplify the light more. Yeah. They had to look up old school lighthouses from like the 1920s, uh, even some of like the late 1800s. And they had to do their research to make sure that they're getting like some historically accurate stuff in the movie. Every, I didn't question a single thing about it as far as like all of the things they were using. And, like, all of the methods they were going through to keep the lighthouse on, to keep the foghorn blaring. And so I was like, oh, yeah, no, no, that seems about right. Yeah, and I will say that the only other uh, little special effect kind of thing uh, going wa uh, going forward was that they used a lot of, uh, for the interior scenes, they were using a lot of uh, bouncing light. So, like, having, like, giant canvas of white sheets 
just bouncing off because those those scenes are very dark. This is like a master class in how to use lighting in a dark setting on top of it being black and white. Yes. Like whoever the cinematographer was, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> they did yeah. such a good job lighting such a low lit scene that it really didn't bother at all for watching it. There was never a moment where I was watching it. I was like, it's too dark. I can't see anything. I described it in our little short review that every shot kind of just looks like a painting. Yeah, it yeah. really does. Um, and I, I actually tried that out. I, I paused it at like random moments. And every single time you pause it, it can be a painting in itself. And so that was like, that was amazing to see all the shots they did for it. Uh, the face acting from Willem Dafoe is amazing too. Just like if you just watch him in every scene, he looks like he legitimately went a little crazy filming the movie. He's uh, Defoe is just a very like underrated actor in general too. Like he's he's been in plenty of movies, played plenty of roles. Yeah, and he never seems to quite get the the respect he deserves. And even the Academy has snubbed this movie this yeah, year. Yeah, nothing which, like which no pisses me off, nominations like, to for no it at all. And for real, um, but yeah, he he did he has some really great scenes which I'm sure we'll get to in a moment. Right. Um, he just takes on that uh, persona really well. I would also say that I love the soundscape of this movie because all the time, all of the weird, like, dissonant tritone sort of notes that they're going with and everything, all of the strange, like, like industrious sounds that they use is just constantly uh, unsettling and eerie. Right. Always. Well, there's the there's the constant foghorn, which they throw coal into to keep it going. Mm -hmm. I love that foghorn. It's so, like, significant. It's constant. It's constant in the movie, and it'll go back and forth between hearing it and not hearing it. And then there's the ocean because there's obviously all the waves crashing around them. And then all of the mechanical pieces, like you mentioned, when like he's shoveling, when he's throwing it in the furnace, whenever they're like sitting, pouring, eating, any of these things, because it's only them two. So you can't, you, you're not going to hear anything else besides what they're doing. And then, of course, the seagulls that are just constantly harassing. <laughs> what is it, Ephraim? Uh, he Winslow. Yeah, Ephraim Winslow. And yeah. then we find out later that his name is Thomas what? Uh, just I think I think they just Thomas. say Thomas. At the, yeah. Anyway, there's a whole story to that, but those are like the constant things that I noticed. But the the beginning scene is amazing. Like that's like to start with, it looks like a very old film when you first look at it, and you can't see anything on screen besides the fog. And then the the ship breaks through the fog at one point, and then you realize what's happening. You just see the backs of the two people. Yeah, they're just it, standing there. It looks great. It, like we're going to be talking about the cinematography so much in this because yeah, all these like, shots are perfectly made. Yeah, and it, there was a lot of continuous shots too where it just kept following whatever was going on. Yeah. And they were really, really good. Some of the framing, like uh, Willem Dafoe is known for also being in a lot of uh, Wes Anderson movies. I was like, dude, this is kind of yep. just like a really dark Wes Anderson movie in some shots. Uh, I feel so, like he was definitely acting the same at some points, and then it got darker. There were so many shots where they're just, like, lined up. I'm like, dude, this could be a Wes Anderson movie, but a really dark one. But at the same time, I, I agree with you because uh, Willem Dafoe, he has such a great, uh, unique role to this that he brings. We got to talk about the language that they use as well, though. Yes. So they use – well, so they're British, I'm guessing. Uh something along those lines yeah, or like off from the island <laughs> from the uk at the very least they're definitely from the uk they're sailors and or uh lighthouse keepers i think he calls them wikis 
is the like wikis. the main term that they end up using. But I had to have subtitles on to make sure I caught every single thing that they were saying because half the time I could barely understand what they were saying because they were using like slang and a lot of like sailors terms for or nautical terms for what they were talking about. And then as he was explaining, like right from the beginning, he explains uh, how it's bad luck to kill a seagull. Yes. Uh, just for a, for a footnote, we've got uh, Robert Pattinson plays Ephraim Winslow. Yeah. Who's the new second that's showing up to take over the last second's job. And then you have uh, Thomas Wake is the name of uh, uh, Defoe. Will, Will Defoe's character. Yeah. And it is also noted that the last lighthouse keeper assistant got, uh, went mad, correct? Yeah. He tells yeah. them that he, he just went mad from being there because they got trapped there. And is it canon? Is, does he like make a canon to the dude that he killed himself or something like that? Uh, he tried to kill him with an axe. Yeah. Yeah, he tried to use an axe to murder. If I'm not mistaken, he tried to murder Defoe with an axe. And so, uh, well, Thomas Wake had to kill him. Yeah. that's a, So supposedly it was like self-defense <laughs> is what yeah. he's claiming. But there's no one there to confirm it because the only written record of what goes on is the one he writes. Mm-hmm. And it's like sealed away in one of the cabinets, which is important later. <laughs> but yeah, they show up to relieve these two men that they don't stop to talk with. They just walk right past each other and then replace them in the lighthouse. And their sole and only job is to keep the lighthouse on. And they're going to stay there. What they thought was going to be, what, four weeks? Correct. Four weeks. Yeah. And then they end up getting trapped there at some point later. And But there's like there's reasons why this happens. Or at least they suggest that there's reasons why that might happen. But they the first thing they do is to sit down and have dinner. Yeah, and uh, that's after. Well, that's after um, they complete. I think that's after they complete about four weeks. They have their first because uh, uh, Wake says to him, says to him, up to to for for our fourth week, and then has the and clinks the glasses with him if I'm not mistaken, because they're there for like about like a couple like a few months before him. I think they stayed there for like six months. Well, no, they they were intending to stay there only for four weeks. Yeah, they had just gotten there when they do that first night. Uh, that first yeah, dinner. So that's because the like, first dinner he cheers to a good well, four he weeks. He tries to get him to drink. Oh yes, excuse me. Yes, and he then says, to a good four weeks. So he's wishing that. Yeah. Weeks. Excuse me, missed that. And he says this uh, sailor chanty like right before every Ooh, meal. Yeah, I'll find it. Um, it's like a very specific thing, and uh, Robert Pattinson's character is kind of just like, oh, I don't, I don't drink. I'm sorry. And then this is one of my favorite lines in the movie. He's like, well, why not? A, a man better have a good reason to not drink tainted oil (laughs) tainted oil and he was like saying oh also i read in my my manual that if i drink you know that could be a reason to expose me or have a have me not work get pay so i i don't wish to drink and he's like also it's in your manual that you should uh follow my orders so i'm telling you you should drink because it is unlucky and bad luck to not uh cheers with uh, to not, uh, it's, it's bad luck to leave a to leave a, uh, a toast. A toast, yeah, that's what it's called. So then they have to go. Uh, Robert Pattinson goes to the water, pumps out some stuff, and takes a drink and instantly spits it out. And uh, what does Defoe say? Um, I he doesn't. Uh, I don't well, think he, he basically it. laughs at him because he's he's supposed to clean the pipes before. Yeah, right. And he has pumping out some water, and so he's just gonna get a mouthful of like grossness that's Taste in the pipes. Of the head. That's Which what is, he says. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so he's just like, that's why you gotta drink. Like, there's nothing that's fresh besides the fucking booze that you're gonna drink here. 
Uh, I'm trying to find the quote that he says, but I'll come back to that. Uh, it should be noted that like the first scene when they get situated, uh, Willem Dafoe is just taking a piss, you know, and like the first joke we have in the movie is a fart joke. And uh, there, yeah, he a, literally farts. There is a, it's a very cramped room. Like even Robert Pattinson's head hits the ceiling. They get on these uncomfy, comfy cots. Oh, right, so Mitch the, found the, it. The thing that he says, he says, should pale death with treble dread make the ocean caves our bed? God who hears the surges roll, deign to save the suppliant soul to four weeks. That's what he says. <laughs> and he says it like three different times. Yeah, throughout the movie. Yeah. Every time before they drink, he yeah. says that. I could only imagine it's like every dinner. Yeah, and <laughs> they eventually, like, it shows the progression of some time as he starts doing all of his duties, which really kind of just ends up being that uh, uh, Ephraim takes care of, like, everything else while, everything. while while Wake takes care of just the lighthouse. And he's very protective of him being the only one to go up to the lighthouse. He's even, like, super... Uh, suspicious about it like oh I, i'm hoping to get my shift on the light soon he's like no 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 the light's mine the light is mine uh you will not be going up to the light and he's like why it says we're supposed to work in shifts yeah but i'll have the the noon to morning duty so you don't you don't have to worry about the light i'll, I'll be taking care of it so they get to this point where they've had their first few drinks, you kind of get introduced to both of these characters. Yeah. Ephraim is pretty quiet for the most part. He just kind of does as he's told, goes about his duties like the best that he can, we think. Uh, throwing up coal, fixing shingles, yeah. painting. Well, cleaning the cistern. There's one do. thing that's super important that when he first gets there and he unravels his mattress, he sits down and looks into like a ripped hole on the mattress and finds a little mermaid statue. Mm-hmm. That was carved out of wood from the previous uh, the guy, assistant. Yeah, the yeah. other assistant. He had left it there. And so he, he picks it up and just kind of looks at it and then puts it into his pocket and then becomes somewhat obsessed with the idea of seeing mermaids. And there actually, like, is a mermaid in the film. I just can't tell if it's actually there or if he's just going crazy. Yeah, it appears in a dream of his at Well, first. it almost... Well, the way that his dream plays out is that it, like, lures him in a very classic, like, nautical legend way. Yeah, siren. Like a siren. Like yeah. a siren, yeah. Dr- draws him into the water until he drowns. And then he wakes up from his dream like that. And that's, like, a super bad omen for him mm-hmm. for, like, the rest of oh, the yeah. trip. <laughs> but, so... Before we get into too much of the plot, do you you mentioned that this whole movie is like an illusion or an allegory an to allegory. another story? Well, it's not really. I wouldn't say that there is an actual story per per se or like this, legend, but it's more like you're taking two mythological characters, and yeah, I would argue that the two characters we're dealing with here are are obviously Prometheus. Yeah. So you've got um, Ephraim. Ephraim is definitely Prometheus. Yes. Everyone, he's obsessed with the lighthouse. Yeah. He really wants to get up there. And his like entire journey and transformation while over, like his mental transformation over the course of him being on this lighthouse. And then I argue that uh, uh, Thomas Wake is Proteus, who if you don't know, Proteus is actually kind of like a not so well-known like yeah. Greek god. He's the son of Poseidon. He often heard seals. I feel like in this film they swap seals with seagulls, hence why he's so like, don't kill those. 
sort of deal, as well as he transforms multiple times in the movies, which is one of Proteus's big deals, is that he can transform his form to escape people. And the only way to get him to prophesize anything for you is if you can capture him and capture him in his own form, and he'll do whatever it takes to get away from doing so. How does he transform? There's the octopus part in the beginning of the movie. Okay, wait, up there. wait, 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 wait. So, so we, that's a whole separate conversation. Yeah, so, exactly. So we'll get to that in just a second. But okay, so there's that the, one. There's the other one where where he's uh, where uh, Ephraim is on top beating him up, and then his head, like his whole body, transforms like the barnacled skull with oh, the horns that's right. on it and everything, yeah. which is an actual depiction of Proteus. Yeah. In those, in those, um, in like the old, like I guess the old drawings of like depictions of that god. Okay. In itself. And then it's sort of like uh, he also has the whole like uh, like I don't I don't want to call it a monologue because it's to another character I don't think it's called a monologue but he has that really long curse that he says no it's a monologue is it a monologue is that what it is okay gotcha I'm I, not I'm I not would too say good with I would say it's a monologue my logic my but it is a very that. elaborate curse and we yeah. have to read it <laughs> and it's, and it's, yeah exactly and it's a big it's it, it prophesizes like the end of the story yes. the end of the movie in a way as well so hence I'm I'm thinking hence why I think that. I think prophet god. I think of like the seagulls that are clearly like attached to this island in some way. If you want to look at it in like a mythological way like that, so I feel like they just swapped it because normally he herds seals for Poseidon, and that's his whole deal. And there's a few other tales with him where he like foretells. Uh, he tells, um, I forget the name of the Greek character, but he tells this Greek character that Odysseus is trapped, Ajax is dead. And he tells them a bunch of all these other Greek heroes during the Trojan War. So he's a big yeah. deal with that. He also challenged Hercules in another story with like two other uh, like other characters that came after him. And so it's a it's a lot of other stuff. These are all kind of unconnected, but I feel like it's a loose it's a loose connection to that character. Well, yeah, it's so he definitely the director definitely intended for you to see that in these characters. And mm-hmm. even with like the ending vignette and like so so there's the vignette where Thomas Wake is standing over Ephraim and he's like completely naked and he's looking down and Ephraim's like kind of falling back and then just bright light is coming from Thomas Wake's eyes Mm -hmm. and it's like on his face so like that alone is a vignette that you would find in like Greek mythology and then the very last scene which is Ephraim getting his guts eaten out by the by the seagulls is so that to me made me think that his whole time on the island was his punishment it was like what happened to Prometheus when he was like he was basically stuck tied to a rock to have his liver eaten out every day. Yep. That was like his punishment but that Zeus like committed him to. Yeah. And so I felt like his entire time on the island was him going through like his own special hell and that Zeus was was Thomas Wake there just egging him through it and like making it worse for him. But I like the I like the idea better that it's Proteus because it fits much better. With all of like the pieces that you just included, yeah, I, I I had to look into it a lot more and whatnot <laughs> because Zeus makes a lot of sense. I I have to agree that Zeus makes a lot of sense because he does guard the wick. But let's let Mur have his input. Uh, I like the idea of uh, Prometheus and Proteus, and I think it is confirmed that the director said that that was the direct parallel. However, oh, nice. I would argue that Zeus is the storm that comes after that the seagull gets killed. Okay, yeah, because he does – he straight up murders the seagulls. And if it's you great. notice the scene directly <laughs> after that, the winds completely yeah, shift the in winds a change. different direction. Like literally the next scene after that. So it's like instant punishment. 
for killing a goal because it's bad luck right. to kill a goal. My my only thing is is that it seems that whatever Thomas Wake was doing was very deliberate. For and like just like especially the part about where they are like set to leave the next day and then they just get like blind drunk and they miss their well I assume that they missed the exchange like whoever was there. But I'm, there's no way to be sure. I would say I would say that they at least from my, that you have really unreliable narrators. Yeah, in They're, both th- of them, all of their their perceptions are. I think it's really funny. There's a part where um, Thomas Wake accuses Ephraim of being drunk, and that was one of the funniest things ever. He's just like, "You're drunk," you know. Oh, <laughs> so the storm. We have unreliable narrators. Well, yeah. So they they there's nothing about the film that suggests that either one of them is correct. That they're like the most reliable narrator. Time hops all over the place from yeah. like six months to five months to two weeks to yeah. You know. And then you have the stories that they're telling on top of it to be like, well, what really happened? Like at first he tells him that uh, his leg was like he broke his leg a certain way, and then later on he's like, wait, I thought you said that you broke it, not that like you did something else to it. And then he's like, oh, you must have misheard me. And then at that point, you're like, I can't, you can't trust anything that he's saying. And then you never get to see the book that he writes in for all of like the like the goings on of them two on the yeah, island. His ledger, his ledger that yeah. is supposed to be like his pay. Yeah, his his the ledger. Um, there's a moment where Ephraim gets to read it though. Yeah, but like we don't know what it says. Yeah, and like he just gets really mad. Well, he gets upset because uh, because I believe I believe he reads it and then he's docked without pay. Was the deal that like he wrote that in the ledger? I believe. Uh, yeah, and that well, that was because he claims. Oh God, he's no! Drinking on the job, that he's not he, doing his yeah, duties. Yeah, it was things. a bunch of stuff. But like, he gets him to like drink to become like an alcoholic at some point. Oh wait, so yeah, that, so basically, the, a lot of this movie is just the repetition of uh, Robert Pattinson doing his chores and just like slowly devolving into madness. Yeah, and so yeah. like, I almost feel like. At some point, maybe Willem Dafoe's character was, like, not there. And he may have just been experiencing all this stuff on his own. But, I mean, either way, the scenes where they're talking to each other are amazing. Because, like, first you get the story about how he became... How Ephraim came to be one of the people there on the island. And he claims that he just was tired of the forest. And, like, he didn't want to be um a, a timber man anymore who was cutting down trees and processing it but then later you find out that his boss falls underneath a bunch of logs in a in like a, a lake or something and he doesn't help him he just like watches him drown basically mm-hmm. and then he takes on his name so instead of being so originally it was thomas something else so they I, have the I same name, name john not to interrupt you i think his name was actually john yeah and he, he takes all his belongings he just takes. He no, just becomes no, that guy. No, Ephraim was the new was the guy who died. Yes, yes, but, I'm but saying, his original name was Thomas as well. Oh, was it also? Yeah, Thomas? they're both Thomas. So it was like that's why it was weird because like they're both Thomas. Don't you spill your beans to me? I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, and so he tells him that story, and then you're like, oh well, shit. He he went there because he's trying to run away from like murdering someone, or like basically not helping someone survive that ordeal. So he like left to be one of these guys on the island. He's like, I heard you can get paid a lot of money. So I was like, I'll just come out here and do this. Oh man. It's like, it's so hard to just take this whole story, like scene by scene. And I guess a narrative as we typically do too. It, it yeah. It reminds me of when you're, uh, when you're watching near the end of fight club, 
<laughs> yeah, like with, for real. With, with Brad Pitt, you're just like, wait, I'm Tyler. And you're like, no, no, wait, what's my name? Well, we got Because the thing is, like, they're, they're going to the madness, and he's like, you came at me with an axe. You came at me with an axe. Remember it when clearly it was Defoe depicted coming at uh, Robert Pattinson with an axe? Well, he, <laughs> you know he runs I mean? at him with the axe, and then he, he cuts up the boat, and he's like, don't leave me. <laughs> and then he runs back. He's like, oh, you've, you've lost it. Like, you came out with an axe. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, exactly. You can't trust anything that's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I love their fight in the bedroom like right before he curses him where he's just like your cooking is terrible and he's like you don't like my cooking and like legit gets upset yeah. and he's just like he's like say it ain't true yeah say you like my lobster you like my lobster don't you yeah yeah no i'm not gonna do it <laughs> you know what i want i want a fucking steak tell him about the yeah, steak. yeah yeah he's yeah. like i want a fucking steak. i just had a steak a bloody juicy steak, steak. you know if- fuck it yeah <laughs> And that's when we get into like uh, I I have the whole quote pulled up right. You here, should definitely read the which whole I'm quote. I'm gonna try really hard to do this. Are you gonna do it with the? Oh, I'm gonna the do giant... it. You know, you know how I go, baby. <laughs> oh shit! So this is the curse that Thomas Wake says to Ephraim. Yes, this this curse in particular this is a long one. So he has a whole scene where he just goes, "Damn ye! Let Neptune strike ye dead, Winslow! Hark!" Hawk, Triton, Hawk! Below bid our father the Sea King rise from the depths, full foul in his fury, black waves teeming with salt foam to smother this young mouth with pungent slime, to choke ye, engorging your organs till ye turn blue and bloated with bilge and brine and can scream no more. Only when he crowned in cockle shells with slithering tentacled tail and steaming beard take up his fell befitted arm the pearl tine trident which screeches banshee-like in the tempest and plunges right through your gullet bursting ye a bulging blackguard for the harpies and the souls of dead sailors to pick and claw and feed upon only to be lapped up and swallowed by the infinite waters of the dread emperor himself. Forgotten to any man, to any time, forgotten to any god or devil, forgotten even to the sea, for any stuff or part of Winslow, even any scantling of your soul, is Winslow no more, but is now itself the sea. <laughs> oh. All right, have it your way then. <laughs> <laughs> I like your cooking. <laughs> <laughs> this long curse, and that's all he has to say at the end of it. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing that he got that done in yeah, one take. take. I mean, I feel like they gave him this script, and he was just like, all of my years at the acting academy yep. have been up this for is this it. moment. This is it. For this moment. Well, you, you had a thing on Facebook where you're just like, this is the scene that would probably give Defoe the Oscar. Yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. I support it. it I, this scene alone is so good. He says it was such intensity. Yeah, thunder cracks when he says hurts. Yes. Yeah, it's such a good scene. Yeah. And, I'm, I, and the Academy snubbing this this thing is bullshit, and the Irishman sucks. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why this is even more amazing is so the shot that you have is from Ephraim's point of view. So you're looking up at Willem Dafoe's character mm-hmm. as he's looking down and speaking to you, more like yelling. A towering at you. giant. Yeah, and the thing is, is the light is perfectly set onto his face, more close to his eyes, and he's like 
spitting and I realize he's screaming whatever lines he has there and then at certain moments like you said the thunder cracks behind him and the lightning and everything so it's just it's really well done and they upped the like theatrical factor for this this is like a stage play oh yeah at that it, feel, point. it feels just like that yeah. to me as well and I, I love how it just has that total like um what do you call there's a reprieve right afterwards and yeah that wonderful little bit of comic where, like all right have it your way like yeah, yeah. there's such intensity <laughs> that just fall of action right after that so this is after they they try to get on the boat and it's no no this no, is storm this is before time, right? this no this is before. before yeah yeah Wow. Yeah, the, that's, oh, and that's when the seagull comes in. All play the intense right shit happens like later into the movie. Yep. The thing that happens before that, though, or after this scene, but before the other ones, is uh, he like sneaks his way, or Ephraim sneaks his way up to the lighthouse to see what the hell Wake is doing up there. And this to me looks like he was fucking an octopus or some sort of tentacle <laughs> creature because yeah. there's like literally cum that comes dripping through the grate in front of him while seeing the tentacles everywhere. And whatnot. so this is okay. So I have to admit, this is why I thought it was Zeus. Cause Zeus likes to fuck random animals. And so that I thought sense. it was him just being like, fuck yeah. Just like some random sea creature. Yeah. Let's just, let's just go. <laughs> when I originally saw this scene, I was like, Oh dude, the dude's jacking it to the light. Yeah. That's what I thought too. And then uh, you see the tentacle. I just looked that mitch i'm like yo yo are we getting like some crazy like fucking mind flare kind of shit or but like also could transform into like a, a sea creature as well yeah that's i think i thought at first i was like oh shit is this like a fucking shapeshifter but no it's not I don't but know. after that we have to talk about all of the scenes between them two where they're really close yeah like this is like very homoerotic while they you're watching kiss it. Yeah, exactly. They they almost kiss and then they get into a fist fight where he almost kills him. Is where Ephraim start, almost kills Wade. Is this when they start drinking together? Yes. Okay. And they start like singing songs and yelling at each other and then uh at one point they're like holding each other gently as like Thomas Wake is singing a song mm-hmm. and like they're like swaying and going around a circle and that's when they almost kiss and then they throw each other away and then start pounding on each other because they're like trying to get out all that aggression. I mean, it's yeah, they have all of this. I mean, I, that's why I think that we can support that uh, Wake is just jerking off up inside of the lighthouse. Right. That's like his only time to truly be alone. Where well, he awake. mentions that the, the light has been like his wife. Also, yeah. we have yeah, to that mention that's that. That's funny. That we, makes sense. We also have to mention that Robert Pattinson was jerking off to the, the fucking mermaid yeah, statue. Yeah, the little mermaid statue later on, so like in the shed. sexual frustration. <laughs> and all of his visuals, like. I honestly love this shot. It's super weird to most people. One of my favorite shots is of the mermaid with the super yonic like vagina going on. It's there for half a second, yeah. never to be seen again. Yeah, it, it's a glorious. It's a glorious scene in my opinion, but it's super weird. It's my only critique of the movie is that the mermaid was not like a speaking role. It yeah, was, she was just not. she was just used to get out the sexual frustration for that. Yeah. I but mean, I mean, besides that, it's not really like a big deal, but it but is something. But you're going into the mind of a man who is really sexually frustrated, and right. so if that's he's just looking for a hole at this point, that's his mindset. Well, that, Legit, that's... like literally, <laughs> that's what. So that's what makes sense to me is the the mermaid's not really there to be a character. It's there. No, no. It's there as like a dream like symbolism. All right, so I looked up a lot of stuff about. Robert Pattinson's role in this movie and how he prepared for it. Yeah. So he actually jacked off. Like in that scene? He actually jacked off in every jack off scene that he does. And uh, he told Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel, like, 
I'm actually pumping my dick. I, I'm actually doing that. And he's just like, wow, it really looks believable, man. Didn't he, didn't, <laughs> he, uh, didn't he actually get drunk for some scenes too? He got really drunk. Okay, this is what I got to say. <laughs> the dude got drunk, would spin in circles, would tap fucking books on his head and do all types of shit. He would put stones in his shoes to off balance himself and just get shit faced before he would do a scene where they were drinking. Holy shit. And so there was one point where Willem Dafoe was like, I, I swear to God, Pattinson throws up on me. I'm not fucking doing the scene for the next fucking five days. And he's like, okay, okay. Can you handle this, buddy? Can you do the shot? He's like, yeah. <laughs> Just super drunk. And he's like, he throws up on me. I'm not coming back to this fucking set. You know this. <laughs> and there's like, he was, he was seriously into this role. Oh my God. And that's the thing about Robert Pattinson. I believe he's a method actor somewhat, right? Uh, probably most likely. Okay. I gotta, I gotta gush about him for like two seconds. Cause oh. everyone's, everyone's perception of Robert Pattinson comes from Twilight, uh, early 2010s Twilight. Yeah. And while that movie has its place for a lot of teens and people who were growing up with it, I got to say, my favorite role from him was also another A24 movie called Good Time. Hmm. Have you seen that movie? I have not, but I've heard of it. If you've not seen Good Time, it is the Safdie brothers who are directing. They did the uncut gems with Adam Sandler that just came out a few days ago. So they are really good at what they do, and the movie itself is fucking phenomenal. Um, So a lot of the thing is, a lot of people are saying that A24 is a home for Robert Pattinson because he's just doing so many killer roles. Yeah, it's what he's been looking for. Yeah, exactly. He's been what trying he to do these kinds of films instead of like I think he's trying to distance himself from like the very mainstream movies that he was put into because he's that wasn't his like his um his goal for acting because this is like definitely something that's really good for him and like he fully committed to doing that and like to be next to Defoe who's just like he's so good at this point. Like he's well into his acting career. A24 is building up so much steam. Cause they've got, they've only been around since 2012. Yeah. They're definitely a company that's going to like start making really, really good stuff. If they can manage to get enough audience I to think, like watch their stuff. I think they've made a lot of their like, like uh, what is it? A magnum opus. They've have many of those already. <laughs> like mi- I could already call me doing it over and over again. Hereditary. Like uh, the witch. Oh, by the way, if you haven't seen the extended version of Midsommar, Midsommar, you should go watch it because it makes way more sense than what we watched in the theater. Okay. Like I was like, why wasn't this included? (laughs) This is actually important and would have filled in a lot of questions for me. It's like watching the Lord of the Rings extended editions. Yeah, it's really it's really long though. It's really long, but like it's worth all of the extra exposition that they give you for the story. And instead of just cutting it, I feel like they were like. This is too long. You have to cut bits, and they and he was like, "Fuck, okay, I have to cut this. We don't really, really need this." But like, it was still integral to the story. But I digress. I think I think for my birthday episode, I want to delve into the Safdie brothers' films, Uncut Gems and Good Time. Yeah, I need to watch Uncut Gems. I've heard it's amazing. I watched it in theaters, and I gotta say, what a performance from Mr. Sandler. Yeah, it's about time. <laughs> Dude. He's been doing like nothing but the comedy bits, so people didn't take him that serious. Well, let's not forget Punch Drunk Love. Okay, that's let's fair. not forget that. That's a, that's yeah, that you're was right. A, that was a milestone for yeah. him. Yeah. I, I just got to gush about A24 because these guys are doing really good stuff yeah, in the industry are. right now, and they're shaking up a lot of stuff. Hell yeah. So And they're getting a lot of traction. Willem Dafoe, A-list actor. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, some people would say not so much Maybe anymore. B. But Maybe he, B. I think he's an A-list well, actor. Well, I mean, <laughs> you got to think, like, he's pretty up there, man. 
he's he's a really good like chameleon actor he can be like any character right he really has been like he's like uh what is his name gary oldman who just always like he can switch right into whatever role he's in he just does a good i i just really love willem dafoe as an actor he also has a crazy looking face (laughs) he's got such a unique look for so many (laughs) sinister characters very good yeah it wasn't really good la la land was a two right uh, oh I, I don't and, remember or ladybird was i know that i don't know i kind of think ladybird was trash but that's a whole nother thing really. i feel like uh if we don't have a nomination for one a24 movie this year i'm gonna be pretty pissed i don't do i don't think they do i'm pissed <laughs> <laughs> they, they really don't well they've already established that a lot of the awards uh companies groups whatever they're all pretty set on only nominating certain movies they are all about their own self uh, <clears throat> fellation. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or just sucking each other's dicks. Like all the people who are like, oh, you made my, this movie? Yo, we got to nominate it. Yo, Scorsese made a movie? Give him stuff. Oh my God, dude. Anyway, but let, let's let's get back to The Lighthouse, which is a good yes. movie that's not discussed <laughs> by these assholes. So, so as far as The Lighthouse goes, this whole film is filled with a lot of sexual tension between the two characters. So it's like a lot of gay sexual tension between them two. They almost kiss. They like are laying with each other at one point. They're dancing together. They're drinking and hugging and doing all of these things together. And and then it just switches to like them being really aggressive. So, But I think what was even more interesting was how it seems like Thomas Wake wanted to de- like emasculate Ephraim in some way by making him do all of these like domestic duties. Like cleaning the floors and like cleaning everything else and like he's only watching over the lighthouse and then he comes back and he's the one who cooks dinner so it's just like i felt like a lot of the movie was about his masculinity being threatened yeah i mean he's like taken apart he's just like a giant figure over him and just wants to be over him this entire time constantly like and and uh makes him swab the decks triple time sometimes yeah he literally says yeah he, he says if i want you to fucking tear down this lighthouse to like rust nails and wood and tell you to do it, fix it up, make it all go to the skies and tear it down again. I'll fucking please. I'll do it as I fucking please. Basically. It was just yeah. a lot of abuse for well, our boy. Well, Ephraim even says at one point where he's like, I didn't come here and I didn't sign up to be somebody's wife is like one of the lines that he tells him at that point. And this is like right before, uh, wake goes into that whole thing where he's like if I, like you mentioned if i want you to rip this apart and take those nails that are full of rust and suck on them until they're completely dry that's not mentioned too that the lighthouse is completely a phallic symbol <laughs> we've got yonic and phallic imagery here yeah those like <laughs> yeah. constantly and like he even has him painting the lighthouse at one point oh yeah because they gotta see it yep yep they do yep he makes him paint the whole thing uh, he makes him clean the cistern. Yep. Uh, it's 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 uh, he makes him do a whole bunch of like really like things that he's not that this old man's not really willing to help out with at all. No, apparently his leg is all bum, so he's not really able to do a whole lot. Yeah, but I and mean, he also does the night shift, hence why he like sleeps during the day. Yeah, and exactly. Wakes up at night before his shift and cooks dinner for the guy. Yeah. Yep. And then for, he'll uh, he'll go up to the lighthouse and just hang out. And he like there's one scene where he goes where Ephraim goes outside to look up at the lighthouse and he sees he sees Thomas Wake just in front of the lighthouse or in front of the light just completely naked. Yep. And then he looks back again and he's gone. Because <laughs> the lighthouse is his wife, dude. Don't you know? <laughs> like. So how do we how do we uh, 
descent into this madness. Well, it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's the it's the seagulls that keep pestering him. Yeah, he that, he really keeps getting pestered by these things. Yeah, they get in front of him in front of doors. They like tempt him. Yeah, into doing this. And as soon as a seagull, he has this great scene where he just grabs a seagull by the neck because it starts pestering him, and he just smashes it against a rock. Yeah all over it basically and throws the body in the fucking cistern with all the water <laughs> yeah well there was already one in there because remember oh, yeah. he tries to drink out of it and then only like black sludge comes out yeah so he goes out to check on it and there's like multiple seagulls that are just dead in there and so he's annoyed at them at this point because he tried cleaning it and then one lands in front of him and is just like laughing at him basically like their their squawks or whatever they do sounds so similar to someone just mockingly laughing at you and so he, he grabs it by the neck and then like full know, barbarian mode. Yeah. Just yeah. beats the fuck out of it. And then it's just laying there dead. Uh, and then that's when the winds change. Yeah. It's, it's when the winds change and when the storm shows up and they figure out that they're probably going to be stuck there for however much longer. Yep. And that's when the, 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 everything starts. Every, the whole movie just shifts gears as soon as the storm hits. Right. Everyone starts drinking. Yeah. Um, they start fighting. They start tearing up the place a little and singing sailor. Like, yeah. Shanties. There's so many shanties that are sung in this. I yeah. wonder if those are real ones that they just pulled from somewhere or if they wrote them for the movie. Right. I'm not even, I'm not even hundred percent sure on that, but they were great. And they were definitely like legitimately drunk. I think for these scenes or at least Robert Pattinson was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they have a great exchange at one point where he's like, what? 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 And they just keep saying yeah, exactly. what to each other. He's like, yeah. that's what? the what? problem with you. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck are you talking no, about? No, that's the problem with you. No, you. <laughs> it's great. And and they're just like belligerent during most of those scenes. And it seems that the only times that they ever get really close to each other and like express some emotion is when they're drunk. Yeah. Like this is the only way that they can even get close to each other. Otherwise, they are very distant from each other when they are sober and it's daytime. I mean, the first time you ever see Ephraim take a drink, he's like, have a drink, lad, and pours it. He reluctantly finally takes the drink, and he's like, okay, have another. Drinks it. He hasn't taken another. Like four. <laughs> he takes like, yeah, he takes like four drinks in a row, and it's like, oh, shit, this guy's going to be plastered. And then it, chaos ensues. and um, the, uh, the place starts getting flooded because there's leaks. Yeah, there's they, leaks I, everywhere. I, I'm convinced. I mean, you can really like, rain is often a symbolism of change in in a lot of yeah. We've mentioned it now we've a lot of before. times. So in this one, it's used a lot, especially when he's like moving coal to the foghorn. He's moving it in the rain. Yeah, and whatnot. And you can just see like slowly he's like doing his task, but at this point, you can just see like like Pattinson's face during this, and he's just over this shit. It's really like obvious that he's like at the end of his tethers. Yeah, the first this. time we see him uh, shovel or not shoveling, but moving the coal, he has a tarp over it. He's taking his time. He's like avoiding potholes, and then where Mitch is describing, he's just like, "Fuck this shit, man!" Just going with it, driving that wheelbarrow everywhere. <laughs> There's the scene where he empties out the bedpans. I and love it, like, that. All blows back on him, and he just screams. <laughs> yeah, and he gets really upset. And then goes through the rest of his scenes with shit covered, like, all over him. He even walks in, and Wake is like, you smell of shit! <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck have you been doing? And yeah, then, how have you been doing? Yeah. And he just, like, looks at him like, are you serious right now? You're well, gonna, right, this right is now? also when he sees the mermaid. Yeah. That's just laying out there. Screaming mm -hmm. at him. Uh, oh, the, dude, those screams are great. Like, yeah. it's like... 
the kind of scream you would hear sort of underwater mm-hmm. and it's like meant to be really piercing but it, but he he sees her just laying there and he's like what the hell and then he goes over and because he's so sexually frustrated he just immediately starts groping her and then she wakes up laughing at him mm-hmm. and screams and he runs away into the house and then he's like what the fuck is wrong with you and he was like uh nothing he's like we'll get back to it and he's yeah, like what, yeah what are you yeah doing? <laughs> got it Okay, um, I like there's a part where he carries that he also like exhibits that he's not always like thinking ahead either while he's working there. Like he brings an entire like barrel of oil up to the top of the lighthouse. And then there's that really great scene where he's just like, you're not a dollar, are you? Yeah. No, fooled me. <laughs> <laughs> this old man just pesters him the whole time or just says really like demeaning comments yeah. and things about him all the time. Also when they when they run out of alcohol, so basically after the storm hits, they all like a good majority of their provisions are ruined. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, "Oh, it's okay." And they go and dig up and it's a huge thing, like a case of booze. What's in there? Provisions. And it's just booze. And like they end up getting belligerent the night before they're supposed to be picked up. And then he wakes up to find out that the they either missed it or they never showed up. But there's mm-hmm. no way to be sure of what yeah. happened exactly. And then this is also when they run out of booze. So they get oil and mix it with, like, honey or something. They take mm-hmm. kerosene. Oh, it's there kerosene. it is. Kerosene with, with honey and, I guess, get drunk off that? Yep. Is that possible? I, 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 I don't, don't know. know if it's possible at all, but it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, they're like, we're going to fucking drink this. Fuck it. Yep. And drink that. And then <laughs> you get they get super mad at each other. And this is when... He's like, I'm leaving. Like, I'm fucking leaving. Like, Ephraim decides that he's just going to put on his coat, get the boat out, and leave in the middle of the storm. And this is when uh, Wake Wake. runs out after him with a fucking axe. And he's like, oh, fuck it. And so he runs back to the house, and then he destroys the boat. And is like, don't leave me, and runs back in. And that's when he convinces him that he's crazy. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You were the one that came at me with an axe. Yeah, you came at me with an axe. Like, you were the one who started all these things. And finds out that he's just going to be stuck there. Yep. And then I believe this kicks off the basically the, the big fight with the two of them. Yes. Because uh, Defoe, Defoe or Thomas Wake's character sticks the axe in the table. And then they have the and then they have their con their confrontation. And it, Yo, their entire house is flooded and shit's just like floating around. Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. he finds the book. Yeah. He fi- yeah. That's what sends him over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that he. He threatens to dock Winslow without any pay. Yeah. Because he and, was drinking on the job. Yeah, because yeah. he was drinking on the job and didn't do his duties, et cetera, et cetera. And this just sends Winslow into a fit of fury. At which point he, he does he does kill Thomas Wake. Yeah. Not before there, humiliating no, it's, him. It's, yeah. it's, it's a little bit it's a little bit long. It's a long death for sure. I mean, he walks him outside like a dog at some point. Yes. And oh, like throws him in the fucking I mean, the, Does he make the, him bark? Yeah. Oh, well, he's laying there first, and he's like, bark, bark. And then he, he actually barks. He fucking barks in that he's scene. Yeah. I mean, this is also why this is also my argument for Proteus as well, is because he quite literally transforms into a dog to save himself in this moment. Oh, that's fair. Sort of idea. That is so that's really, yeah, that's my, a good read of that. Yeah, thing. because he literally, like, starts acting like a dog just to keep himself safe at that point. This is also the part where, like, their roles sort of get reversed. Yes. Where um, Ephraim is able to take some uh, control of his masculinity away from him mm-hmm. and then controls everything that happens after that, um, at least up until the end, I would say. Well, you've got this scene... 
you've got the struggle with them. He gets on top of Wake, starts beating him up, and that's when he starts uh, hallucinating. He yeah. Start, at first, he sees his boss. Yeah. A representation of his old boss. Who keeps showing up, actually. He yeah. shows up, like, three times, I think. It's yeah. a blonde guy. Yeah, it's a blonde guy with a mustache, which yeah. I believe is described earlier. And so he, you know, beats him up. And then after he's done seeing him, he just sees Defoe with, like, all these tentacles behind him. Yeah. And this, like, crown of barnacles and these horns that curl around his uh, his ears. I know. I need to go back and pause it on that part so yeah, I can get a good it, look. It's really, really cool. And then um, and he just continues beating him, just convinced that this man is a monster obviously and then uh afterwards you get the dog barking scene where he's just like you had enough had you have you lad and then he starts kind of speaking a little bit more like him as well almost like adopting like the i thought the, that would happen because originally yeah. i felt like uh um ephraim had like a very british accent and then it started changing as he was sort of mimicking what thomas wake was like starting to become the person that's, yeah that he's he ends up with. sort of like taking up that role and so he he definitely takes his time with torturing him. He originally buries him, and yeah. it's just like you, I buries wanna, him alive. I want to bury you alive, but he doesn't do a very good job of it. No, <laughs> and so because he goes back in. Well, he afterwards. it's like loose dirt. And he just throws on top of him, and then it looks like Wake Thomas Wake's character dies in that moment because mm-hmm. he like says some final words and then stops talking. But like that looks like he was actually in a fucking pit with dirt being thrown on him. And like, it probably was. Like, I don't think there was any sort of like safety concerns for that. They were like, "You're gonna get in the pit. We're gonna throw dirt on you. You have to keep talking though." And like, he it, goes through that. Dirt scene. comes in his mouth yeah. and everything. And like in his eyes and everything, I was like, "That must have been fucking terrible to do that." But he was, he did that, and then he leaves him there and goes inside, finds the ledger, and then he runs in again with the axe to try to kill him, and doesn't work. And then he's able to. Uh, well, he, he hits him in his shoulder, like his arm, and then he pulls it out and then kills him. He, yeah. like, buries it into his head. He also foreshadowed that a couple scenes back. Like, what was the quote? Do you know the quote? Uh, he mentions, he basically mentions he says that I had to split his head open with an axe. That's what he says of his second. His, his second went crazy, and then uh, Thomas Wake says that he had oh. to split his head open with an axe. Well, Wake even mentions that uh, – that he appreciates that he's been so nice to him because he felt at some points that he was going to split his head in half. Like yes. he mentions how he felt like Ephraim wanted to do that to him. And then he eventually does. He does at, at the end of it. And then this is where he's like, wait, he's dead now. I need to go find out what's in that lighthouse. He goes all the way up to the Super top. Super slow ascent to the top of the lighthouse. He opens, he gets to the top. He realizes that like, the lighthouse is really, really bright and that there's a section of it that opens like right in the middle and he opens it, looks in and the entire screen is, it ends up just going white and he's like screaming, but it's, but you can't hear him. Cause it's like the silence. Yeah. It's like silence. So you just see the bright white light and him screaming to himself. Yes. But I, I would like to say the quote that he says while he's in the, yeah, uh, the do it. Gra- it's really he's in, good. He's in the grave pit. He's getting, um, he's getting dirt tossed on. Him. Yeah. He basically says, like, oh, what protean forms swim up from men's minds and melt in hot <laughs> Promethean plunder, scorching eyes with divine shames and horror and casting them down to Davy Jones. Dirt. The others will blind, yet in it see all the divine graces and to Fiddler's green scent where no man is suffered to want and toil, but is ancient, mutable, and unchanging as the she who girdles around the globe them's truth and you'll be punished 
and then he stops talking after uh, after he throws dirt on him. Yeah, him. he mentions he mentions Protean. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah, it, ha- yeah. it has to be. Yeah, yeah exactly. Protean so and it's, Prometheus. It's, this just supports my theory more. No, it's it fits in really well. So yeah. that's that was exactly it. Um, uh, I do, however, like the take on Zeus, but not to not to deviate. But I just wanted that to be in no, there. No, that's a, good, a really it's a good, good set quote. of lines for the movie as well. It's great that he's saying that when he's basically about to go down. They definitely gave the more difficult parts to Willem Dafoe. Yeah, he had some bangers. He had like the most <laughs> difficult lines, the most intricate screenwriting and like uh robert pattinson's job was more to be like we need you to go like slowly crazy while defoe is already crazy and he's gonna tell you a lot of crazy shit during these scenes this movie is really funny too it is funny it is a dark comedy in some aspects i was laughing when the seagull would just show up and it's like sitting in front of him yeah, just being an asshole yeah just like mocking him the entire time there was so much and then so He's in the lighthouse. He's about to get. So the- what happens after he sees the bright light? So he's he's like in this moment of ecstasy or terror. You can't really tell. Yeah, it's it's like half and half, and he's just staring into this, into this bright light that they made to reflect nineteen twenties lighthouses. It's super specifically made for it, and it's super bright, like all consuming. And he just falls from the stairs. Yep. He falls, takes a giant down. plummet. Which I wonder, I this is a really weird connection, but it's it's a descent a, into hell. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could go with that, but I'm also nah, I'm also you. thinking about, um, so you've got the the scenes of the lighthouse from the uh, the top of the stairwell looking down. First of all, looks like a seashell. Yes. Second of all, you've got the Fibonacci sequence to consider here because when graph Fibonacci also becomes a spiral. And so, since the Fibonacci sequence orients with the changing of numbers based upon similarities in the two of them, I wonder if that's sort of a like a metaphor for the end of the movie for the amounting madness. So it just keeps multiplying itself over and over again based on numbers that are the same. And is a spiral because it keeps on happening to the two who are supposed to be taking care of the lighthouse. Yeah, yeah. this does seem like a cycle. Yeah. It's not necessarily like a one-off thing that's going to happen to mm-hmm. them. Like it's probably going to keep happening over yeah, and over cyclical, and over again. Exactly. And then and then they they do a very strong allusion to what happened to to Prometheus for giving fire to man, which is yep. that he is forced to have his liver eaten, in which case Robert Pattinson's character is having his guts eaten by the seagulls as the final scene. Yeah, out on the rocks. And then, yeah. then the movie ends with a really cheerful sailor shanty yeah, at the end of the movie. It really it's does. really great. Um, I'm oh, trying to what find. What a good film! I'm trying to find the for real photo of the vignette that I I explained earlier. So for do you guys know what a vignette is? No, explain this. To yeah, me. I was like, Teach there's me. probably not people who don't know it. So basically, it's like vignettes can be considered like what people do for storyboards. So they're they they're very direct um, pictures of what might be happening in a scene, and you can get what's happening just from that single photo. And so the goal of most of artists is to create a vignette in their paintings. So you can look at it once and know exactly what's happening. And they do this towards the end of the film when they have a scene with uh, Wake completely naked looking down onto Ephraim with the light coming out of his eyes. And because they show it just by itself and it's in between the two scenes. So like it fades to black, shows the vignette, fades to black, and then it shows the final scene. So this is meant to be like, this is what happens. Like, these are the two characters. This is the ending of it. It's like the intro to theater plays when they have the, like, 
the setting, like they explain yeah. what happens. Mm-hmm. This is like the final vignette of what happens. And so in this way, they used the theatrical setting and brought it into film. Because that was Ooh. like, I mean, it all originated from there. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, this is a really good way for the filmmakers to like, this is the final piece that we were going to put in here. And you can, you can take it as you like, as opposed to like leaving it kind of open for that interpretation. But I think they did. They were very open about their interviews, though, when they were asking like, what was like the inspiration for most of these, right? Yeah, well, the, the thing is, like, with uh, a good amount, they like to leave it to mystery. But, you know, it's very obvious, especially with the dialogue in this movie, especially with that quote with Defoe before game buried. Like, it is, pro, uh, what is it, Prometheus and uh, pro- Proteus. Proteus, yes. That is the allegory that they're trying to go for. Um, but it is a period piece, and they just wanted to get as much of the period as they can correctly. Yeah, and that's a big thing with uh, this director. He likes to because that's what he did for the witch, which he had to do a lot of research back in the day to get that setting and time period correct so he could make a good product. I have I like a, I like this movie a lot. I think it might be my favorite movie of the year. So that has that going for it for me easily. Uh, some l- little notes about it, too. Uh, they shot the entire thing in 34 days. Holy shit. It's just like a crazy fast for a film uh, for them to be able to do that much stuff. Um, And then it was filmed. Part of it was in Cape Fortune in Nova Scotia and Canada. And then the rest of it was shot inside a hangar at Yarmouth International Airport in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. So interesting. I'm trying to think of like what the fuck was in the hangar. But I guess maybe the inside scenes of of the place. Otherwise, like, they were actually on location for the outside of that. They must have found, like, the perfect island for it or something. Yeah, with so they could put their uh, fake lighthouse Yeah, there. exactly. And then they just filmed all the outside bits there and then the intro, the inside on there so they wouldn't, like, actually be cold. Because, <laughs> like, at one point, like, when Robert Pattinson's character, when Ephraim is, like, jacking off, uh, he's definitely, like, in hot water. Like, because it's, like, steamy. And they mm-hmm. can't avoid that in some scenes they're not going to put him in cold water and be like all right dude jack it off in cold water (laughs) you know like so they had to give him like hot water but yeah just some cool stuff about that was there any other final thoughts you had about it it's just a very anxious descent into madness is what mitch originally told us. you have to be super patient that's 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 what i'm finding with a lot of these a24 movies they make you anxious oh yeah they like they give a certain tension that I haven't felt with a lot of other movies. Uh, the only other time I felt what I felt watching this movie was when I watched The Witch. The Witch made me very nervous for no reason. Did you ever feel that way for Midsummer? Uh, yeah, Mids- Well, Midsummer wasn't so much that I was like scared. I, it just made me really anxious because like, or like uncom- that's what uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. Yeah, you yeah. feel uncomfortable. Well, well, with The Witch, I actually got pretty scared watching it. Where I was like, oh, something terrible is gonna happen. And then this one was like very like it made me very anxious watching it. Um, I did watch it by myself too, which is like <laughs> probably the scariest way I can watch films because like by myself, it's kind of dark. It was like super rainy and stormy when I was watching it. <laughs> too so i was like oh this is like adding to all the effects of watching this film and then um towards the end of it i fell asleep watching it and so i rewinded it and watched the rest of it and then i went to sleep right after and had weird dreams <laughs> so it was like definitely interesting i mean when when watching this movie my expectations were like i'm gonna get some sort of like lovecraftian horror movie yeah sort of deal and really what i was treated with it was just this nautical psychological horror 
and it was it, and it was mainly just a like like Neil Murray said like I've said before like John said it's just a it's just another it's a movie about the descent into madness of these two characters stuck on a small location um, I think that the 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 uh, shot choice that they picked with the 35 millimeter was perfect for it because it gives more of that claustrophobic feeling as well where everything's really close together nobody's getting out of this like anytime soon and they just have to deal with it however they can and i i really enjoyed that aspect of the movie too because it was a lot of it it really referred to itself a lot and really grounded the film and that's really i i, I loved it though it was easily easily like my favorite film that i've seen this year yeah i would say it's up there too and it's always really cool to watch a new film and be super impressed with it where i was like more people need to watch it <laughs> I'm sad that it got snubbed, but at the same time, I'm, like, really hyped that it does have a cult following as of, you know, just being out for a couple months. They did not waste any time releasing it onto DVD as soon as it was in the theaters. Like, it probably only took them, like, a month and a half, two months to bring it out. Good. And so that's why I was able to get it, too. I was like, this is amazing. I was waiting for it so that we could do an episode on it because I wasn't able to watch it in theaters. It's, like, expertly crafted to be such a great film. And it's made with a lot of love and care. For yeah, the time holy period. shit! Really get a good sound system when you watch it, or yes. listen to it with good speakers. Because you know it's, what, it's you could really probably watch good. it with like a headset. Yeah, that would be really like nice. if you had some earphones, that'd probably be really good. Oh, too. you'd probably go crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nuts. Um, I gotta say, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe did a knockout job. Hell yeah! If you like Robert Pattinson's role in this movie, check out another A two four film. Oh yeah, Good Times. By the Safdie brothers. And if you enjoy that, check out Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler. Yeah. Because all these movies are just (laughs) fucking great. And they're fucking killing it with all those new films. So definitely go watch something like that. And then this is, yeah, this is the last episode we're going to do for this year. So we're not going to have any other episodes until the, the new year which is technically going to be our season two. <laughs> yeah, I guess, that, I guess that's how that works. Yeah, huh? yeah, we've gone through the full year of doing these things, and we started like sometime in February. So this is going to be the last one for the year, which is a really cool way to wrap it up. And so um, just like as a final thought for everybody uh, to remind you guys, we're super easy to find. We're on all of the streaming services. So we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio and uh, SoundCloud. We also have our social media sites or our um, social media pages. So Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on uh, Twitter, and you can find us at BDTGH underscore podcast. And we're able to contact us, leave messages. Please go review our podcast on the Apple podcast. It really helps our rating and it allows us to be uh, seen more on the pages. And it really uh, makes us feel good to see all the positive feedback. But Thank you so much for coming out tonight to talk about this crazy movie. I hope everyone has a good night. I'm Mitch. I'm Murr. And I'm Jonathan. Thank you.